This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. I used to think when I, when I first became a Christian and began to learn about the Bible, that the Old Testament, that it really, apart from the commonly known accounts of creation and the flood, you know, Noah and the flood and the, the great story of David and Goliath, that apart from those few well-known stories, it was just a lot of dry text filled with technical details about the priest's duties and uh, a, a lot of accounts of ancient people. And really, I didn't understand that it was significant or valuable for my life. So I just kind of discounted that for a long time, thinking that the Old Testament wasn't as valuable. Uh, I didn't really need all that, right? Because Christ and the New Testament are much more important. So there's and, and so there's not really a lot that the, the Old Testament can offer. But in fact, the Bible says, Paul, when he was writing to the church at Rome, he says to the Romans in Romans 15, verse 4, he says, whatsoever things were written aforetime, now from Paul's time and perspective, he's speaking of the Old Testament. He says, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. You see, so the truth is that the Old Testament, the things that were written aforetime, provides great value for our learning. It teaches us great things about God and about who He is and about what He requires and about our service to Him. And so this morning, I want to examine an account from the Old Testament. And, and I want to look at the sons of a priest named Eli. They were wicked men, and they were sinning greatly against God and His people and, and the handling of, of peace offerings that the people were bringing there to the temple. And then we'll draw out some ideas and see how they could apply in our lives. <clears throat> but in order for us to, to begin and understand really what these young men were doing wrong, we need to understand the peace offering themselves. So I want to spend just a, a moment uh, looking through the pages of Leviticus chapter 3 and Leviticus chapter 7. We'll, we'll study some verses there to get an understanding of this particular offering that was being offered. Uh, this was the peace offering. And, and so in the Old Testament, when God... Uh, instructed the priests on the different type of sacrifices that, that the people could bring and, and should bring. There were some that were required, and then there were some, like this particular offering, the peace offering, that, that uh, it seemed a little bit different, a little bit more special, a little bit more heartfelt from the, from the people that were bringing the sacrifice. And under the category of peace offering, they had three types of offering. Somebody could do it because they had thanksgiving, they were thankful to God, and they wanted to, to express their thanks, and so they could bring an offering to the temple there and, and offer this, this uh, peace offering. There, they could bring a vow, or if there was a completion of a vow, perhaps, perhaps they asked God's help in something, and, and they received that help. We see different instances of that happening in the Scriptures. When Hannah, she, she was barren, and she prayed God that she would receive a son or a child, and when, when that happened, she went to the temple and took a sacrifice. That was a peace offering she was making because a vow had been uh, fulfilled. And, and we see many instances of that throughout the Old Testament, of a, the vow uh, peace offering. And then there was, under that category, a free will offering. You bring it to the temple and you're sacrificing and you're worshiping God just because. Just because it's in your heart and you want to do this, you want to worship God, you want to out of your own free will, bring this, this great sacrifice and, and, and celebrate, really. And it seems very celebratory type of sacrifice. It seems like a joyful thing that, that, that they were required to do or asked to do. And this was something that 
that they could do even, even voluntarily. And so there was a particular process. If somebody had a peace offering they were bringing to the, temp, to the tabernacle, to the priest, to be offered up to God, there was a particular process that God wanted these uh, sacrifices to be handled in. And we find that in Leviticus chapter 3. In Leviticus chapter 3, um, there in about verse 13 through 16, now there's a whole lot more in that, in that passage, but this gives us kind of a summary and an idea of how these sacrifices were handled. Leviticus chapter 3, it says, And he shall lay his hand upon the head of it, the person who's bringing the offering, and kill it before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle the blood thereof upon the altar round about, and he shall offer his, uh, sh- shall offer his offering, even an offering made by fire unto the Lord, the fat that covereth the inwards, and all the fat that is upon the inwards, and the two kidneys, and the fat that is upon them, which is by the flanks, and the call above the liver, with the kidneys, it shall he take away, and the priest shall burn them upon the altar. This is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. All the fat is the Lord's. Now, there's a lot of details there uh, about how these priests were to do it, but just a, a very brief summary. The person that brings the offering puts his hand upon this offering, and he kills it there before the door of the tabernacle, and the priest takes, they, they prepare it, and they take all these parts that God requires that, were, that belong to God. It says the fat is the Lord's. Um, they would take that, and then they would take the blood, and the priest would sprinkle blood around the altar, and then he would put those sacrifices, or the, the fat there rather, and make a burnt offering. That was part of that sacrifice, and, and fire would consume that. And so that was the Lord's portion that he received. And so the fat is burned upon the altar. Notice how it's, it, it describes this. It is the food of the offering made by fire. Pretty interesting the way it describes that. Um, those aren't parts that were going to be eaten by anyone, but this was the, the fire of the Lord that was consuming these pieces. So that was the Lord's portion. Now the offerer, the person who brought the sacrifice, also received a portion uh, from these sacrifices. They were, they were to share in this as well and enjoy part of the, the food that came from the sacrifice as well. And so in Leviticus chapter 7, we read of certain requirements of, of the time frame in, in which they were to eat these sacrifices. Now, there's different requirements. If it was a Thanksgiving offering, they had to eat it that same day. If it was a vow or the voluntary offering, the free will offering, they, they had two days to eat that. But they couldn't go beyond that commandment. And a lot of commentaries uh, that, I, that I look through and, uh, to kind of understand this process and the sacrifice suggest that the, the person who brought the sacrifice would then take that and share that meal with his family and friends and perhaps the poor. So they kind of made this it was somewhat of a celebratory feast that they would make out of these things. Um, so so that, that seems very interesting. And they would share it with people. But God had requirements for how this was to be done. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse 15, it says... The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day that it is offered. He shall not leave any of it till the morning. So God had certain requirements. It had an expiration date as far as when they could eat this. This was a holy thing that was offered, and they were to eat it, and they were supposed to eat it clean. And, and they were supposed to follow this directive of eating it within the time frame. And if they did it and handled it inappropriately, it became sinful for the person who offered that. In, in verse 18, he says, If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings, now this verse particularly talking about the vows and the voluntary offering, shall be eaten on the third day, it shall not be accepted. Neither shall it be imputed to him that offereth it. It shall be an abomination, and the soul that eateth of it shall bear his iniquity. 
So God was very strict with the requirement of how this was to be eaten and the time frame in which it was to be eaten. And if they went beyond the commandment of God, this offering no longer is accepted to God. And in fact, it's imputed as sin to that person. It's an abomination. This is a, a, a terrible thing for somebody to do if they, if they don't eat the sacrifice within the time frame that God requires. And not only this, they needed to be ceremoni- ceremonially clean. They couldn't have uncleanness upon them. You know, if they touched a dead body or touched a dead animal or did all these things, there was all these things that, that caused somebody to become unclean, and they could not eat of that sacrifice then if they were unclean. In, in verse 20, God tells them, But the soul that eateth of the flesh of the sacrifice of peace offerings that pertaineth unto the Lord, having his uncleanness upon him, even that soul shall be cut off from his people. God was serious when he, when he told these people, whoever eats of this must be clean. And if he's not, then he will be cut off from his people. It was a serious punishment for eating something holy in an unclean state. Because the symbolism and the message here is that you're mixing your uncleanness with the purity of God. And, and so those things aren't compatible. And so that's, that's why you see some of these requirements like this and God putting such a strict... Uh, punishment upon somebody for for violating that god was serious about maintaining holiness and us maintaining holiness especially when we're handling the things that belong to god because that's what it says here this sacrifice pertains to the lord this is his sacrifice that now he's inviting us to be a part of and eat of these clean things and so god gets a portion he gets all the fat and and those pieces and the person who offers gets a portion but that's not all Um, the priests were re- received a portion. God ordained that the priest should also partake of this and have, have some of the, the meat that came from this sacrifice. God blessed them to have this. Uh, because the, the, the Levites, when he separated them out from among the people of Israel, they didn't receive an inheritance in the land. When they were going to go to Canaan, they weren't going to receive an inheritance. And their job was to basically live around the tabernacle and, and, and maintain the tabernacle and as payment, God would take care of them, and, and they were worthy of their hire, and so they would receive a tenth of all the tenth of all the tithing that the children of Israel were required to do. They would receive a tenth of that for themselves. And, and the food and the sacrifices that they offered, God made sure that there was pieces of those sacrifices that were reserved for the priests so that they also had food. That was their job, and God, God took care of them. Because they weren't out there making an income and, and, and growing, you know, uh, shepherding flocks and growing their herds and, and doing all the things that the rest of the children of Israel were able to do. They were servants of the tabernacle, so God took care of them rightfully. And this was a just thing. Of course, God is righteous and he treats his servants well. So the priests had a specific portion that belonged to them. In Leviticus chapter 7, verse 34, God describes this in this peace offering. He says, For the wave breast and the heave shoulder have I taken of the children of Israel from off the sacrifice, uh, sacrifices of their peace offerings, and have given them unto Aaron the priest and unto his sons by a statute forever among the children of Israel. So this was something that God instituted so that they could also have uh, their food. And notice what they call it, the wave uh, breast and the heave shoulder. So they were to bring the fat of this animal and, and this, this uh, breast of the animal and bring it in their hands and hand it to Aaron. And the priest, from, from what I can understand, it's some of the, some of the uh, details are kind of complicated and, and uh, it's, it's hard for me to know for sure as I'm reading through, through documents or, uh, or commentaries how exactly this looked. But 
the, the description that I read was they would bring it in their hands. This was what God required the, the, the offerer to, to do. And they would come and put it in the hands of the priest. And whoever the priest was that was officiating would then be the one to take the blood and, and sprinkle that sacrifice. But they would take that offering and they would, they would do a wave offering. And this was significant. It, has, it had some significance. Uh, I don't know all the details, of course, but, but this was something very important that they do. And then they would take that shoulder and they would do a heave offering. And this was more of an upward offering to God. And when they completed that, those pieces were the priests. God gave them to the priests. It was a wave offering and a heave offering. And, and whoever the officiating priest was got the shoulder. But the breast portion, all of the priests and the high priests included, were able to uh, partake of that. So pretty interesting the way God ordained this sacrifice to be handled. And the officiating priest would get a, a specific portion as well. Um, so... So what you see here is a picture of God consuming a portion of the sacrifice, the person offering consuming a portion of the sacrifice, and the priest consuming a portion of the sacrifice. And there seems to be somewhat of a a very beautiful picture here that's represented of sharing of this peace offering between God, the offerer, and the priests. It's like this divine feast of fellowship between God and man. And it looks and seems very special and very beautiful and, and wonderful. And whatever the case may be, maybe that's not the significance behind it, but that's what seems apparent. Whatever the case, it was very significant, it was a very special type of sacrifice, and it was not something to be done lightly or to be abused by the offerer, the person bringing the sacrifice, or the priest himself. And so now, with, with that foundation and understanding of the peace offering and how it was to be handled, Now we can jump into this account that we're going to talk about this morning of Eli's sons. Eli uh, was a priest uh, during the time of the judges of of Israel, and he was the last one of the last judges before Samuel the prophet came along. Um, And Samuel served in the temple as well. But Eli is—it's supposed that he was the high priest, and he was in charge of of the tabernacle of God and, and had a very high and special position as high priest, as a descendant of Aaron. And then we read in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, This man, this is speaking of another man, Elkanah, which is Samuel's father, Hannah's husband, uh, went up into the city early to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord. The, uh, excuse me. This man went up out of the city early to worship and sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. So, so during this time in Israel's history, the temple or the tabernacle of God was in Shiloh. And that's where everybody went to worship and offer their sacrifices. And, the, and, and when they were called to assemble together, that's what, where they would meet because that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. It's a very special place, a very significant place. But Eli is the high priest and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are the priests. And so it's their responsibility to handle these sacrifices and to do the ordinances the way that we read about, you know, particularly on this peace offering. That was their duty. But they were abusing that, and they were doing something wrong. Let's read about that in in chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. It says, Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. That's a way to say they were worthless. They were not followers of God. He says, They knew not the Lord. 
And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with the flesh hook of three teeth in his hand and struck it into the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot. And all that the flesh hook brought up, the priests took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came thither. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let them not fail to burn the, pat, uh, the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. This is very, this is a very dreadful reading as we think about what these priests were doing. They were the priests in the temple, the tabernacle of God. These were supposed to be holy men who taught and showed and instructed people in the right ways of the Lord and, and handled the sacrifices appropriately. Yet they were not properly serving God. That's the first thing I want to point out about, about what they were doing. They were not properly serving God. They followed their own custom that they developed. Notice what it says there in verse 13. And the priest's custom with the people was. This was not something that God ordained. This was something that the priests developed on their own. They came up with this custom. They came up with this idea. They came up with this plan. And, and they carried that out. This was not something that God instructed them to do. That's very different than what we read in Leviticus chapter 3 and, and, and Leviticus chapter 7. The sacrifice is killed and prepared. Then the priest offers the fat to God first. And then the priest gets a portion after they've been offered to God, the heave offering and the wave offering. But that's not what we see here. Their practice was completely wrong. They were serving themselves before they were serving God. It says before they burn the fat, the, the people would say, well, go burn the, the fat presently. Do that first, and then, then you can take whatever portions. And they said, no, we want it now. We want our meat now. We want what we want now. They don't care about serving God. They want what they want, and they want it now. They selfishly desire to get more than what God provided even. So not only are they serving themselves before God, and they're totally uh, not following the directives and the commandments that God gave them, they were so selfish that they wanted more than what God provided. We read there in, in, in Leviticus about how God appropriated special portions for the priests. And, and this is something that he told them repeatedly. See, you see, because God made sure that the priests were taken care of, and this is what he told the first high priest, Aaron, in Numbers chapter 18, verses 11 through 12. It says, And this is thine, the heave offering of their gift, with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel, have I given them unto thee, and to thy sons, and to thy daughters with thee, by a statute forever. Everyone that is clean in thy house shall eat of it and all the, the best of the oil, and all the best of the wine, and of the wheat, and of the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord, have I given thee. God gave them access. They didn't usually get all of the parts, of course, but they got some of the best pieces of the offerings. They had access to some of the, the, the choicest of God's uh, stores, and, and God blessed them with that privilege and that opportunity because they were servants of the tabernacle. You see, they were blessed with that because God made it so. This was a very special privilege. And, and this was holy. 
and these were holy foods that they were allowed to, to eat. And many of the other sacrifices that the children of Israel didn't partake of, beyond the peace offerings, they had access to, the holy offerings. Yet, by the time we get to, to Hophni and Phinehas, they were not satisfied with that. We want more than what God promised us. We want more than what God told us we would get. As if their portions from all of Israel were not enough. They took flesh hooks into those pots to get more. So while they're cooking this, this, these meats for the people to, to return that back to them, their servants would come and they would get those flesh hooks and push it down in there into the pot and take out whatever they got. And they would keep that for themselves. And in this custom that they developed on their own, in this practice that they had developed on their own, getting what they wanted from God before giving God what belonged to Him, they were, they were committing a great sin. Now, as the story unfolds, a prophet of God comes to Eli, and he rebukes him, and, and he issues judgment against him because of this evil that, that he, really he was a participant in because of his, his, his uh, inaction. He wasn't doing anything to stop his sons from doing this. He got onto them, as, and, and we'll read a verse where he does that, but he really didn't do anything, and he is the high priest. It's a shame. But through this prophet, God explains the great wrongdoing that, that is occurring. Notice what we read in, sec, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 28. This prophet comes and questions Eli. This is a God himself, or a prophet, uh, God speaking to this prophet, questioning Eli. He says, did I not choose him, speaking of Aaron, the first high priest, did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest and to offer upon mine altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod before me? An ephod was a special garment. That, that, that was specially made for the high priest to wear as he served in, in this position to God. It was something very holy and very special. He says, didn't I choose Aaron out of all the people to do this? Did I not give unto the house of thy father all the offerings made by fire unto the children of Israel? Wherefore, kick ye at my sacrifice and at mine offering, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest thy sons above me, to make thyself fat, or make yourselves fat with the cheapest of all of the offerings of Israel, my people. Notice the description and the way God rebukes him. He says, this is my sacrifice, my offering in my house from my people. And you have the audacity to demand the best and the cheapest of those things and to take and to serve your sons and to put your sons' uh, desires and their customs above mine. This is something that belongs to God. Those priests, Hophni and Phinehas, only had that benefit of getting a portion of God because God gave it to them. And these sons of Eli had the audacity to go into God's house and take the best of what belonged to God for themselves. And this was so egregious. God was so displeased with this, he pronounces judgment against Eli and his sons, and he says, you are going to die. Notice there as God is rebuking them and, and questioning. He says, How dare you make yourselves fat with the cheapest of all the offerings of Israel, my people. So not only were they abusing this sacrifice and, and, and robbing God of His glory for themselves, they were robbing their brethren of glory. They were, they were improperly serving their brethren. And they were causing the people to commit sin because of this. Because the sons of Eli weren't following the commandments of God properly. 
they are the priests. And if they're not following it properly, then none of the rest of the people are going to be following it properly either. Notice uh, when, when Eli goes to his sons and he, he rebukes them a little bit, he tries to, well, he tried. It seems like he's just very, he's so inactive and so passive. He's just such a passive man. He's not a man of action. But in verse 23, he goes to his sons and he says unto them, Why do ye these things? For I hear of your evil dealings with all this people. Nay, my sons, for it is no good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people to transgress. So he tries to tell them. And he even goes on. And, he, and he's, he's disturbed by the things that they're doing. And he's disgusted by the things. Because not only were they abusing the, the, this worship that people were bringing to God, this peace offering, they were also sleeping with the women that met at the tabernacle and served at the temple. And they were abusing that as well. And they were taking advantage of these women. They were, they were fulfilling all of their lusts with God's people and the worship that, God, that they were bringing to God. So it was very egregious things that these men were doing. They were wicked, worthless men. And they were the priests of God. And, and Eli tries to plead with them, and he says, look, if, if somebody sins against a man, there's someone that can intercede, there's a mediator, there's offerings that can be made to, to make reconciliation. But if a man sins against God, who's going to step in? And I think that's a good question. If we sin against God, who's going to step in? But he asks these sons, they don't care. They didn't listen to what their father was trying to tell them. And, and you know, this is the, the exact kind of conduct that God was concerned about with the priests. They needed to be a certain quality of man. They needed to be a high quality man of faith because they are the example and the model of righteousness for the rest of the people of Israel. He says in Malachi, he says this in Malachi chapter 2, verses 7 through 8. He says, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge. They should seek the law at his mouth. People should be coming to the priest to find out more about God and more about the law and more how, about how to obey the commandments of God. That's what he's saying. The priests should be knowledgeable in the Word of God, and people should be able to come to them and, and, and ask for knowledge, seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But you are departed out of the way, and you have caused many to stumble at the law, and you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. This is a whole other set of priests that he was rebuking, because they went astray. They weren't following the commandments of God. And because of this, they were leading the people astray. When the... When the, the when the highest office is failing, then the rest of the people are going to fail as well. And that's exactly what was happening. They were causing other people to commit sin. And in thus doing that, they were robbing people of proper worship to God. Because this priest's role was very important, and it was supposed to be an example, yet they departed from the law. And when they robbed their, that opportunity for them to worship God properly, they were also going beyond that and robbing, literally robbing their brethren of their offering that God had gave them. We ate, we, or we, we read of that, rather, uh, when in Leviticus chapter 7, when God commanded that they should eat of it a, within a certain time frame, it was something for them to take and eat, and perhaps they shared that with their friends and family. But they were so selfish that when somebody came and said, no, let's, let's do it right, burn the fat first, and then you can take what's yours. They said, no, we want it now, and if you don't give it to us now, we'll take it by force. That's their reaction to people wanting to follow the commandments of God properly. And then they were taking their pound of flesh, so to speak, taking away what belonged to the person who offered it. 
this was a special thing, remember, shared between God and man, yet it's being taken away by these priests just to serve their own selfishness and to make themselves fat, as God says, because they, they wanted it. It's sinful enough. You know, they were violating the commandment of stealing. God said, you shall not steal. And he over and over told the, the children of Israel not to steal from one another because it's a dishonor to somebody when you steal from them. It's dishonoring. And he says, you know, the, the question that comes to mind is it's sinful enough to steal from uh, uh, earthly things, and God is displeased when we steal earthly things. How much worse is it when the offense is stealing holy things? You're stealing it from God, and you're stealing it from your fellow man. Not only did they rob their brethren of the opportunity to serve God properly and rob their brethren of their offering that was their special portion that God gave them, they also robbed their brethren of the joy that was to be had because of this sacrifice. You know, we read about this, and it seemed like such a special and very, really intimate thing between God and man, and it was joy, and it was somewhat celebratory. You know, back when the Israelites crossed Jordan in, into the Promised Land, even before, rather, God commanded that they should do a certain thing, and he talks about peace offerings, and I want to notice the way he talks about it here. In Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 7, he says, And thou shalt offer peace offerings, and eat there, and rejoice before the Lord thy God. This was God telling them, Offer peace offerings. Why? Because they finally crossed Jordan and into the Promised Land, and that was something to be celebrated. That was a great time of joy. So there seems to be joy connected with these peace offerings. It was something very special. And it was supposed to elicit joy in the people making the offering. Yet sadly, Hophni and Phinehas were stealing that from their brethren. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, we read of these priests, Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Because of their sinfulness, they caused people to hate offering this offering to God. And really, ultimately, they were doubly robbing God of people's glory, of, of, the, of the, the glory that people were giving him and of the joy that they were having and the rejoicing that they had in him, the thanksgiving or the, the payment of a vow that was completed or the free will offering that somebody might bring. They were completely destroying people's desire to even want to do this. They hated it. They hated doing this. What a horrible sin these priests were committing. You know, ultimately, Hophni and Phinehas die at the hands of the Philistines because the Philistines come and they raid Israel and they, they are overtaken uh, because God is displeased with the conduct of Israel and lets them be overtaken. And they take the Ark of the Covenant, their most valuable possession. And when Eli hears that his sons were killed by the Philistines and the Ark of the Covenant was taken, he falls back in his seat and he breaks his neck and he dies. And so Eli and his sons die just as God had decreed they would. And that's how they met their end being a inactive, sinful, totally violating the, the, the commandments of God, causing people to sin against God and to hate offering to Him. It's a terrible legacy that these priests had and left. So, as Paul said in Romans chapter 15, these things that were written before, they're written for our learning. So what are the things that we can learn from this story about these priests that were doing this terrible thing. 
you might be thinking, how does this even apply to me? How, what value is that for me as a Christian when I read this account? Well, I really think that there's two core ideas in this passage that we read or this passage that we examined about these priests that really they stand out the most as, we, as, as, I, as I look at this and, and those are the two common things. And really we can do it in the form of a question that we can ask ourselves, these two things. The first question is, am I worshiping God properly? You know, these priests weren't worshiping God properly. God gave them the due order. God told them the order that these sacrifices were to be handled. God was first. And then the priests would get their portion and the other people would get their portion. The priests maybe got theirs third. I don't know exactly the order, but it was God first and then man. And he told them exactly how to do this. There was no flesh hooks involved. He didn't say, hey, priest, go take a flesh hook and go stick it in the pot, and whatever comes out, you get, a, you get bonus meat. You get extra meat now because you selfishly wanted that. That was never part of the commandment of God. Yet these priests were doing that anyway. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we are in Christ, the Bible says that we are the priests of Christ. We are His priesthood. We have been made a royal priesthood, separated from the world, now in Christ, because we came out of darkness and now we're in the light, and we are His priesthood. And so we need to know if we're worshiping God properly. We need to know if we ourselves are conducting ourselves and worshiping God and living our lives in the way that God commands us to. In John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, look at what Jesus says about God Himself. He says, The hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. If we want to be true servants of, of, of God, we want to be true to our office of priesthood, as we're serving God and offering up spiritual sacrifices, the songs that we sing, the things that we teach, the service that we do, the good deeds that we do for others, the love that we have for one another, the things that we share, those are all spiritual sacrifices that we're making and, and we're allowed to make because Christ has enabled us to. Peter says that very clearly and very plainly. And if we want to do that properly, we need to make sure that we're doing it in, in spirit and in truth. It's very serious that we do this thing, or else we'll be cut off from our people. And so we need to ask those questions. Are we putting the care into ensuring that we, what we're doing in worship to God, not only here in the assembly, but as we go out and live our lives, that it's proper, that it's appropriate, that it's done in a, in a way that is in alignment with His will, we have the information to be able to know what to do, and we have the, the ability to cross-check what we're doing with what the Scripture says to know whether or not we are correct in our actions. Now, the reason those priests were going aside and not serving God properly is because they were so consumed with their own selfish desires. And that's the thing that will lead us aside in, in, our, in our worship to God if we're not careful and so we need to ask ourselves, is, is what we're doing in worship and how we're serving God, are we doing that so that we can be seen of men? Are we doing that so that we can prove that we're some great thing in the church? Look at how much knowledge I have. Look at how many songs I know. Look at how great of a song leader I am. Look at how beautiful my prayers are. Is that our attitude when we come into worship, to prove that we're something? Are, are, are we so focused on how much glory we can get out of things instead of giving God the glory first? 
you know, Paul, there was a problem in, in the first century church of people glorying in who they followed and who they were converted by. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 uh, through 9, we read, well, let me, let me pause for just a moment. There was divisions happening in the church because people were devoted to the man that converted them or the person maybe they first heard the, the message of the gospel from. Some said, I'm a follower of Peter. I'm a follower of Paul. Some were saying, I'm a follower of Apollos. And some said, I'm a follower of Christ. And so you had this division and this fracturing that was happening in the church because people were so concerned with that glory of who they heard the gospel from. And Paul asked this question. I think it's important for us to, to examine. He, he asks questions and he gives them information and details for them to really understand how it should be. He says, who then is Paul? Paul was sitting there looking at this action and this attitude and said, who's Paul? Why do you care so much to say, I am a Paul? I am of Paul. I'm a follower of Paul. And who is Apollos? Who are these men? No one. They're just ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planted anything, and neither is he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. God is something. God is special. God is the hero of this story. We are not. We're just servants. We're just, the work that we do is important, but we're really not all that important to the story. Not as important as we think we are sometimes. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. It's easy to lose sight of, of our role and the role that we're playing. We're simply ministers carrying out the spreading of what belongs to God. We're inviting people into God's house through His sacrifice, through His commandments, so that they can become His people, not ours. We're laboring together with God. So are we, are we coming into worship feeling proud of our own efforts or taking joy in other people's conversion or growth as if we did some special thing? It's all, it's all God. Those are ways that I, I tend to feel sometimes. And, and, you know, I need to remember, I don't really matter as much as I think I do or as much as I think I should. That's the, that's the reality that we get from, from the Scriptures. Reality check. Remember that everything comes from God. He's the one in control and all belongs to Him. It's His house, it's His sacrifice, it's His people, it's His commandments. And just the way God took care of those priests that were serving, because we're the priests of Christ, members of the body of Christ, our spiritual needs are going to be taken care of if we follow Him faithfully, do the commandments. We will receive what we need. In Colossians chapter 2, 19, Paul described Christ this way. He's the head from which all the body and joints, uh, by, by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together increases with the increase of God. Don't worry so much about getting glory for yourself or looking great or whatever it is in our service to God. You'll get what you need. God will make sure you're taken care of. God will make sure you have food and that you are growing properly. This is not about us. It's about God. That's, a, that's an important thing. And that's where the, the priests, Hophni and Phinehas, that's where they went wrong. They started to worship God improperly because they developed their own custom that was all about their selfish desire and what they wanted and what they 
needed and, and what they cared about, not about what God wanted or needed or cared about. The second question and the second core idea that we can take away from the story of Hophni and Phinehas is, am I serving my brethren properly? The first is, am I serving God properly? The second is, am I serving my brethren properly? You know, sometimes I think we have a tendency to become like Hophni and Phinehas, so consumed with our own selfish desire that we might rob our brethren just for our own good and our own benefit. Not literally. I mean, although there's some people out there that are, they literally rob their brethren and take things from them and take advantage of them just so their own, for their own gain and for their own advantage. But I think sometimes we push ideas or concepts or opinions that we have and we try to gather people to our side and to our camp because we want, that to, we want to feel justified in what we believe, and so we try to gather all these people, and, and we're really robbing people from following God's commandments properly just to serve our own selfish desire or our own selfish thought. You know, this was a problem in the first century church. Now, the old law did command that, that circumcision should be done for the, those that were Jews, but when Christ came, that all changed. And now circumcision is, is of the heart, as it says in Colossians chapter 2, and, and the Jews were still stuck on circumcision, and they were going around to the Gentiles and non-Jewish people saying, you need to be circumcised too, and you need to follow the law of Moses, or else you're not saved. But that's not something that God commanded. Notice the way Paul describes this in Galatians chapter 5, 2-4. He says, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For if I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to do the whole law, if these Gentiles submitted themselves to that ordinance, then they were in debt now to do the entire law. And he says, Now Christ has become of none effect to you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Any of those Gentiles that were persuaded to follow the law and to put their hope and to trust in the old law and to put their trust and confidence in the flesh, Paul says, You've fallen from Christ. It was serious. It was a very serious thing these Jews were doing and diverting the faith from these Gentiles now to trust in this act of circumcision and the law of Moses. But these Jews didn't care. They were so concerned with themselves that they didn't stop to think of the harm they were causing of making people fall away from God. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says, Paul says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. Paul's saying all they care about is whether or not you become circumcised so that they can look good to the rest of the Jews. They didn't really care about the heart of these, these Christians. They didn't really care about these Gentile people whether or not they were true and right in the sight of God and following the commandments of God properly, all they cared about was looking good for themselves and for their own people and appeasing their own conscience and their own mind. You know, it's unfortunate, but the church has been ripped apart in the past by people pushing their own agenda, or their own opinions, and they'll separate and they'll push people out and cast people out. And we need to be sure that we're not pushing opinions and ideas that are not rooted in the Scriptures. Yes, we need to ensure and, and hold each other accountable to the will of God, and we need to, we need to, uh, to uh, follow the commandments of God and make sure our brethren are doing that as well. That's our responsibility to one another. But we need to make sure and, and know whether what we're teaching is actually in the Scriptures or not. 
and not just get so hung up on an idea that we like and start trying to make other people do that and start trying to be enforcers of that particular idea in the church. Because then we're not helping people follow the commandments of God. We're trying to, we're trying to help them follow our commandments. And are we serving our brethren properly by not getting frustrated when they don't serve the way we want them to? That's what the priests were doing. They said, no, offer the fat presently, and then you can take whatever you want. And they said, no, if you don't do it our way, we're going to take it by force. You know, I'm reminded of a man in the scriptures that John describes, Diotrephes, in, John, in 3 John uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Think about this. This man, Diotrephes, was so consumed with his prominence and his position and having authority at this congregation that he refused to allow the apostles to come to their congregation. This man was robbing his brethren of an opportunity to glorify God and to worship God and to learn about God because he was so consumed about them doing things his way. He says, John wrote, or John wrote to them, he says, I wrote to you guys an, an epistle from John the Apostle was written to them. And he wanted to come and be with them. But Diotrephes wouldn't receive them. Not only that, he forbade those who would have them. And he casted them out of the church because they were not serving his way. And so I think it's important for us to ask that of ourselves. Do we get bitter against brethren that, that don't give us what we want out of their life and out of their service to God? No, you're going to do it my way or else I'm going to force you to do this. Maybe they don't sing quite right. Maybe they can't read quite as well. Maybe they, maybe they don't dress to our liking. Maybe they, maybe they raise their family in a different way. Sometimes we get hung up on these things and we think everybody else needs to conform to our life and our way. But the truth is, everyone needs to conform to the way of Christ, His commandments, and His, His ordinances. And we need to be the kind of people that are helping our brethren to comply with the Word of God, because that's what's going to enrich their lives the most, and that's what's going to enrich our life the most. We need to serve our brethren properly by causing them to love worshiping God, and, to be, and take joy in participating in this feast together as servants of God, and as, as people who are offering worship in, in, in between us and uh, as priests and the other people that were helping to worship God appropriately and God himself. Paul had this attitude. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, Unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law, as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made I have made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker thereof with you. Paul made himself relatable to all kinds of people. Jews, non-Jews, rich and poor, I'm sure, alike. Weak, he says, those that, that are... Uh, not under the law, or those that are under the law, Jews. He did this 
so that other people could be saved and he could be a partaker with them. Not to take something from them, not to selfishly prove that he was able to win souls and that he was the great, uh, great apostle or the greatest apostle. That's not the mindset that Paul had at all. The things he was doing was for the benefit of other people, and he was a servant to all. That's the message here. And if we selfishly demand that people give us what we want out of their service to God and out of their life, then we might just be in danger of the same thing that Hophni and Phinehas were doing. Because we want to get what we want out of people. And if we do that consistently and long enough, we're going to have the same effect that they had. And we're going to make people hate worshiping God. And I think that's something that we need to ask ourselves. Are my selfish feelings and my selfish actions causing other people to hate worshiping God? If I, if I am suffering from that and guilty of, of having those things. Proverbs 30, verse 33 says, Surely the churning of milk bringeth forth butter, and the wringing of the nose bringeth forth blood. So the forcing of wrath bringeth forth strife. We're going to cause problems. We're going to cause people to hate worshiping God. We're going to cause divisions in the church. If all we're doing is consumed with our own selfish way and making sure people submit to us and not to God. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.